Welcome to City Hope London's Sermon Podcast. To find out more about us, visit www.cityhope.london. Lots of you, if you've been around over recent weeks, will know that we've been in a series in the book of 1 Peter. Um, So 1 Peter is a book written... Presumably by Peter, that seems to be the strong assumption of many scholars. Um, And it was his guidebook written to the churches in a particular province um, around the area of Turkey. Um, And it was really his guidebook to them on how to live as Christians in a hostile culture, in a hostile community. How to be radical for God in a culture who are actually really switched off from him and following a whole load of other ideologies. And I know that you will know over weeks, and Paul um, has expanded this to us so well, that actually increasingly for us in the Western world in the 20th century, that increasingly looks like the, the reality for the church. It's really important that we take on board what Peter's saying to the communities that he's writing to, because actually increasingly we are living in a culture that is hostile to the gospel, that is counter to all that we hold true. So it's really my privilege this morning to come and pick up the next little bit of this series. Often when we preach for a book of the Bible, we kind of take it... um, chronologically, so we tend to take it like chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and we'll go from the beginning to the end. It's been a bit different with this series. We've tackled it in a different way. Really, what we've looked at is we've looked at themes that come through the book, themes in Peter's writing, and looked at how they thread through the whole of what he's saying. Um, And so the theme that we're looking at at the moment, uh, we've looked at holiness and hope as two kind of themes that should really characterize a church. And now we're looking at witness, and within that, we're looking at our witness when we face persecution and when we face suffering. So some of you would have been here last week when Bongai so brilliantly opened this up to us and began to take us on this journey of looking at the subject of persecution and God's people. He spoke about persecution being like kind of written into the terms and conditions of what it means to become a Christian. That when you make a decision to follow Christ, you're making a decision to say, actually, I sign up to knowing that persecution is kind of part of the deal. Um, And this week, I'm going to look at how we approach that suffering in view of the personhood, um, the persecution, and the glorification of our risen Lord Jesus. So how that fits into our view of him, our Christology is the word we use, our perspective of who Jesus is, how that impacts our perspective on Christian suffering. So having said all that, I'm going to pray, right, because I am totally in line with Chris, on saying, it, I mean, it's always a privilege to preach. It's always a privilege to unpack God's word. What a privilege to do that this morning and in a time such as this, a time where God is stirring his church. I really believe prophetically that there is a message this morning that God is stirring in us, and that message is not, I guess, like, like we've been preaching thematically through the book of 1 Peter, there's a theme actually in the life of City Hope at the moment. This isn't a standalone preach. Actually, I'm coming in a theme of actually God drawing us to Holy Spirit and drawing us to a place of worship and abandoning him. So I believe that I'm on topic today and I'm, I'm, I'm on theme with what God's got for us. And therefore, I would encourage you and stir you to stay awake, stay engaged, stay with us, do what you need to do to make that happen. If that means that you need to just drink some water or, or do something to alert yourself, do that. Let's be alert 
Let's be alert in this season. Okay, I'm going to pray and then we'll get going. Jesus, I thank you that you call us to walk in union and partnership with you. Jesus, I thank you you asked nothing of me that you didn't do yourself. Lord, you asked nothing of me that you didn't model. Lord, what a model I have to follow in you. God, I pray, God, I pray this morning that, that Holy Spirit, you would continue to brood in this place. That Holy Spirit, you would stir from deep to deep. Spirit, that you would have permission and know that you have permission this morning to stir us and change us, that we'd be more and more like Jesus in a crooked and depraved generation, Lord, that we would reflect something of you and who you are. Lord, we do want to go deeper even when it's scary. God, we want to go deeper with you, Lord. Amen. Right, as I start speaking today, I want to ask you, what is your first response or the response in your heart when you know that the topic we're going to look at today is the suffering of the church? I just wonder, just take a second, just be, be introspective just for a minute and look at your heart and just recognize what's your first gut instinct when you hear that. Because I'm going to choose to be vulnerable with you now and let you know about my first gut instinct when I hear that. Um, not because I want you all to think about me, but because I, I think it might be helpful for some. So I'm going to be honest and vulnerable with you and tell you that actually from, from as early as I can remember which is quite a long time ago, I've got very good memory, actually this topic has triggered a very real and very deep fear response in me that I really struggle with. Um, ironically, in my preaching career, which isn't massively extensive, this is actually the second time I've preached on this passage. I can't remember what I preached last time, but it's possible that you might if you've been around Seat Hope for a long time. <laughs> so if you do, let me know afterwards whether I agree with myself after all these years. But the, the challenge is I have a real fear response, okay? I grew up in a Christian household, and I had parents who, helpfully or unhelpfully, who knows as life worked out, but they read a lot of stuff to me when I was quite young about the suffering of the church. And actually what that did is it triggered in me a very deep fear response. It means I struggle with this topic, very, very much so. And there, there are people who find it inspiring to read stories of the suffering church. There are books like The Heavenly Man by Brother Young. Now, that book in the season I was really growing up, that was a very popular book in the church. Lots of people found it inspiring to read about a man who suffered extensive and incredible suffering and persecution in China, but yet held on and clung on to God. You read stories of people like Corrie ten Boom, or even Paul Brown loves to, a war story, doesn't he? He loves a war story. And he likes to tell stories about prisoner war camps and how Christians really stuck up for God in those places. And lots of people find that inspiring, and you perhaps find that inspiring, and that is wonderful. Carry on being inspired and engage with those stories. I'm going to be truthful with you. I do not find those stories inspiring. I find them terrifying, and I really struggle because I fundamentally, in my very core, I don't identify as a brave person. My self-identification is not brave. So when I personally hear those stories, actually what tends to happen to me is I think, oh, I don't imagine myself being the one who endures. I imagine myself being the one who runs away. That's what I imagine, and I'm terrified. I'm terrified of denying Jesus one day. That really scares me, probably because of some bad theology, but it does scare me. And therefore, I really, truly struggle with this topic. Actually, when uh, like scientists and psychologists talk about fear and that kind of response to sudden adrenaline in our system, they talk about either fight, flight, or fright. They say that most of our behaviors, in fact, all of our behaviors in that moment where fear suddenly grips us, will fall into those one, one of those categories. You either get a bit aggressive, we run away, or we just get a bit stuck and motionless in the situation. 
I want to self-identify as someone who basically, I've got flight. I don't really have the other two. I just run away. When I feel scared, I run. I don't like being scared. Um, and therefore, for many, many years, I've kind of ignored this topic of the persecution and the suffering of the church. I kind of stick my in fingers in, the, in my ears and do the heart equivalent of going, la, 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 because I don't like to think about it. I find it really hard. Now, the reality is, and the reality that I think, if you're in a similar boat for whatever reason, perhaps different underlying experiences, but I think lots of us perhaps have that. What we do have to recognize is that being able to have that position actually comes out of a modern Western privilege. I have the opportunity to do that because as yet in my life, for that I've had tricky experiences, it's not like being a Christian has been easy. Actually, that real physical suffering and persecution hasn't been my experience. Therefore, I have the privilege I can be, I can be like that. But actually, God calls us to something more than that. God calls us to more than that. I want to recognize um, and just really be open that I know that in this room, there will be people who do not have that same modern Western privilege that I've had, that actually you haven't been able to stick your fingers in your ears and kind of ignore the topic of Christian suffering because you've experienced it. Perhaps you're even in this room in London because you've had to flee persecution. That is a reality actually for the majority of the Christian world. Actually, I'm in the minority. Those of us who've been able to ignore this topic are in the minority. The vast majority of the Christian world know the realities all too well of Christian persecution. So if that is you, I'm, I don't want to call you out and make it awkward, but I do want to honour you publicly. I want to say well done and thank you for your testimony to Jesus that you've withstood suffering. Thank you so much. You've got so much to teach us as a church. You've got so much to teach me. Um, and we do want to stand with you. You know, the Bible talks us... Uh, as a church of being the body of Christ, when part, one part of the body experiences pain, we all experience it. And so we do want to stand with you in that and hold you in that. Maybe you are experiencing persecution now in your home, in your school, in your workplace. We want to stand with you um, and hold that with you. See, the reality is, as I said before, that actually the suffering church is the norm of the church. Um, I looked up some stats. These are slightly out of date. This was from 2020. In 2020, 2,983 Christians were killed for their faith every single year. So sometimes I think in, in the context here, when we think of the suffering church, it feels like a historical thing, but it's not. It's a modern-day reality. That works out to be approximately eight people per day die because they're following Jesus. And actually, at the moment, 28% of the countries in the world have actually got very strict legislation in place that restricts the activity of the church and restricts religious freedom. It is a reality for many there's an interesting dichotomy with that. So there's a reality of the suffering and persecuted church. Um, China is a, a, a country where it's renowned and known that actually the church are, are persecuted. Um, interesting, I looked up some data that said that actually in 1949, the evangelical church made up 1.3 million people in China. Now there's been incredible persecution. So I said that um, the book, The Heavenly Man, is written about the, the persecuted church in China. But today, the evangelical church in China makes up 81 million people. That's what we know about. There's a lot that's obviously underground for obvious reasons. To put that into context, the population of the UK is about 68 million. So actually, the, the evangelical church population in China outweighs the entire population of the UK. So there's something that God does when the church suffers. There's something that God releases when the church suffers. So what will happen here in the UK? Truthfully, I don't know. 
Truthfully, I genuinely don't know. And I've, I, I sometimes sit in some of the people say, you're suffering, Stephanie, coming. And it, again, it triggers that fear response in me. But actually, the truth is we genuinely don't know. But what we do know is that the tide of our culture is turning. We do know that our culture is increasingly hostile to Christian values and Christian teaching. We do know that increasingly, if we follow Jesus wholeheartedly, we feel dramatically different to those around us. Um, and that is the, the cocktail of circumstances into which Peter writes. So I want to come back a little bit to the person of Peter who wrote this book and speaks to us about suffering, the person whose voice we're going to hear now. Peter's actually a character in the Bible. We get to see quite a lot of him. So Peter, we see him in the Gospels. We see him written about in the Acts of the Apostles. We see him written about in some of the other letters that particularly Paul writes to churches. We see his character in 1 and 2 Peter. So you can do quite an interesting character study on Peter. And what I like, and what I like about thinking about Peter's perspective on suffering, is it turns out what I said about fight, flight, or freeze, Peter gets that too. When I say I'm not a particularly brave person, and I struggle with the idea of persecution, the great news for me is so did Peter. And yet he's the one who wrote this book. I find that so encouraging. We don't have time to go into all the references, but I'm going to put them on. These will be familiar to some of you. If they're not familiar to you as I tell the stories, go home and look at it. Look at the person of Peter. See, there's a bit in the Bible when Peter is walking with Jesus and their mates. And Jesus lets out to the disciples that he is going to actually suffer and be persecuted and ultimately crucified. He lets them know what's coming, gives them a taste. And Peter pulls Jesus aside and he says... This is never going to happen to you. Stop talking like that, Jesus. Do you hear what Jesus says back to him? Get behind me, Satan. Ooh, he gets a tough rebuke. Jesus says, you're talking like a man, not with someone who's got the heart of God. He speaks right into that reaction. But to me, I'll categorize that as a bit of a freeze, really. What Peter's saying is, I don't want to hear about this. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to go on this journey if you stop talking about persecution. I don't like it. Yeah, that's a bit like me. I love that. Because actually when you see the transformation in Peter, you think, oh, God could transform me in the same way. God could do this in me because he did it in Peter. You look at the bit where uh, all the, the um, priests and the army and people come to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's like the beginning of the passion story where he goes to ultimately be crucified. What does Peter do at that moment? Falls to his knees and pray. No, he gets out his sword and he cuts someone's ear off. Because he's got a sudden adrenaline kick and he thinks, I don't know what to do, I've got to fight. Ooh, that's interesting, isn't it? Peter gets the freeze, he gets the fight response when we're under pressure and we've got that adrenaline fear response. Actually then Jesus goes and he's having his trial and it's that moment where he really needs his disciples to stick by and says, pray with me, be with me. And Peter's outside the court and a girl comes and says to him, doesn't he know Jesus? In that moment, he is so terrified of the persecution that might come his way. He says, I don't even know him. Well, that's really helpful to me. That's really helpful to me. Me who reads those stories and think, oh, no, I just want to run away from that. I'm scared that I'll deny Jesus. I look at Peter, who actually, just for your information, in the end, Peter was crucified. That is how he died himself. And I think, God, if you did that transformation in him, it's possible you can do it to me, even me in modern Western world who likes to ignore the topic of suffering. If God can transform Peter, he can transform me. If God can transform Peter, he can transform you. If he can transform you, he can transform our church and impact the place around us so much more. So there is every reason to approach this topic with faith 
and with expectation. On that topic, I'm now going to ask my good friend Katie to come and read for us. If you've got Bibles, feel free to turn to the passage. I don't have it up on the slide. It's actually quite a long passage, uh, which is great because it's just good always to hear scripture. Um, we're going to go with the yellow microphone. We're reading from, just so you know, 1 Peter chapter 3 from verse 13. We're going to read right into chapter 4, verse 6. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keep a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for us sins, the righteous and for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is, in, and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in doing the, um, in the, doing, in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Brilliant. Thank you, Katie. Um, I'll just put that back. Grand. So... When we're looking at what Peter says to the church, the instructions to the church about suffering, I've kind of categorised what I see, the themes of what he's saying, into three broad categories. I work quite hard to try and make these rhyme, couldn't quite manage it. I work quite hard for alliteration, couldn't manage it. So you're going to have to switch on and choose to remember, even when I'm not helping you out very much. So I would say what Peter is saying to the church in terms of their response to suffering, there's a call to holiness. That shouldn't surprise us because that's the theme of the whole book. We've had a couple of sermons on that, so that's really helpful. There's a continuity. He's calling us to holiness, he calls us to fearlessness, and he reminds us of glory. Actually, that should be our response when we face persecution. I want to talk a little bit about holiness. I say it's a theme of the book. He starts this section by saying, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? 
The truth is there is a guiding principle that says on the whole, in general, when you look to do good and bless those even who stand in opposition to you and are different to you, actually there's often just a favour and a blessing that comes upon you. For all that the church is full of stories of persecution and suffering, the church is also full of stories of people who are able to actually minister in the most impossible of circumstances and the most hostile of cultures because actually those around them recognise that they're actually doing good and they're blessing those that are around. We as a church, I think, at the moment stand in that season, actually. We live in a culture who don't agree with a lot of what we say. We live in a culture actually quite hostile to a lot of what we stand for, but yet we've got a council who seems to be at the moment giving us quite a lot of money to bless the young people in this area. The council funds quite a lot of the youth outreach that Kwame and I are involved in because they recognise that actually we're doing good. And there's a blessing on us. Actually, as a church, we're really living that out when we look at the ministry of Sue Ferry and her whole team running the Foodback program, the CAP program. As a church, we've really got hold of this sense that actually as we do good to the communities around us, actually on the whole, there's an openness to the gospel. We should seek to do good even when we face persecution, even when we're scared, even when perhaps we've got that fight-or-flight response jerking up in us, actually we still look to do good and we look to bless. As a side note to that, this verse gives me some peace. It says, actually, it's also okay to kind of not massively want to be persecuted. Like Peter is giving a bit of license here, saying, do you know what? It's all right to say, do good, because actually that will often mean that you don't get persecuted. Like, that's okay. Peter also elsewhere talks about seek to just live a quiet life and live out your faith. And actually, that's all right. It doesn't make you a bad Christian. It doesn't make you not brave, actually. That's, that's actually a really good aim to have in life. So it's good to aim to do good and actually in that way not experience persecution. But, of course, persecution does happen. Like, he's not victim-blaming and saying, if you've been persecuted, it's because you didn't do good. No, no, no. He knows that actually sometimes persecution even comes to those who do good. Um, he's not counteracting that. So we seek to bless. The next verse, I think, gives us a real key. So um, it says, da, 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 da. it says in verse 15, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for reason for the hope that you have, but do this in gentleness and respect. So the first key here is that set apart Christ as Lord. That's kind of longhand for saying be holy. Actually, the definition of holiness is set apart. So actually what Paul say, Peter's saying here, I always get those wrong, they both begin with P. What Peter's saying here is actually in your heart make Christ holy. Actually, let's be holy. That's the first key. That, that is so central to the whole thing. But actually, when you are called to speak about why you live in that different way, when your holiness feels so different to the world around you, actually answer people with gentleness and respect. You might ask when I've drawn out that gentleness and respect, why have I picked an image like this one? Placards that say things like, God hates you, you're burning in hell. They're, they're images that some people who aren't Christians might associate with the church. Because actually, in, in some places, that's how the church has responded and does respond to actually the, the, the difference between us and the world. As we live in a culture that feels so opposite to what God calls us to be, the response of some Christians has been, in order to keep my saltiness and make it clear that I'm a Christian, I'm just going to attack you and point out that you're bad, God hates you, blah, blah, blah. But that is not what Peter is calling the church to do. 
he says, actually, the way you're called to live is so different from the world. And when they notice how different you are, how salty you are, speak to them and address them with gentleness and respect. It's really key. There are so many issues now, and I can't pull them all out now. There are so many issues where actually gentleness and respect actually doesn't govern the conversation and the debate that goes on. Actually, on issues where the church is drawn in and pulled out, actually gentleness and respect isn't necessarily the overriding spirit of that. But actually, that's what Peter calls us to do. We live in a polarised world, a polarised world in which we get camps of opinion. And that's probably ever more so, and will continue to be so with the power of social media, etc., etc., on how we all think. And in that polarised world, actually, sometimes the saltiest thing you can do as a Christian is speak to those who feel and think differently to you with gentleness and respect. Actually, that can mark you out as a Christian so much more than actually slinging mud at the world who don't yet know Jesus. So actually, that we are called to be respectful even when we're suffering, even when we're being persecuted, even when the views that we're opposing feel so opposite to the gospel that we've been called to. Let's commit to gentleness and respect. Okay, next, Peter calls us to fearlessness. He says, do not fear what they fear. I want to take you back to that bit where Peter says to Jesus, don't talk to me about suffering. Don't predict your own death. I don't like it. I don't like the topic. And Jesus says to him, you're thinking like a man. You don't think in the ways of God. Your, your eyes aren't on God. And really what he's saying, what Peter's saying here, what he's learned from that is actually don't fear what people fear. Those who persecute you and persecute the church, the fears that they have, should be diametrically different to the fears that you have. We fear the Lord, they fear men. Actually, do not fear the kind of things that can get thrown at you. Don't fear the slander that can lead to the lack of friends. Don't fear the bullying, don't fear the social isolation because you've got a God in heaven who loves you and is for you and will be with you even in those situations. There's that song, I'm persecuted, not abandoned, we sang today. When you know you can be persecuted but not abandoned, you don't need to fear loneliness. You don't need to fear a lack of friends. Don't fear a loss of income, for that may come, because Jesus says that he will clothe even the lilies of the fields. So you don't need to fear that. Don't even fear a loss of life. Um, it's so great to preach this preach after Hope has given her story this morning. Even better news is my third point she made for me, so towards the end there will be less for me to say, which is great. We don't need to fear the things that the world fears. But, you know, we, in my job, I'm a speech therapist, and I talk to parents often about, don't just tell your child what not to do, tell them what, do, what to do. So they don't just tell them not to hit, tell them to be kind, or, or whatever it is. In a similar way, actually, Peter says not just what not to do, do not fear, but he tells us what to do. So he says, don't be fearful, but actually be prepared. I'm going to read the verse. So he says, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Be prepared. I want to talk quickly about preparedness and what I think Peter's getting at here. I think when we think about being, being prepared to give an answer, there's a temptation, and particularly a temptation for those of us who've got quite a Western rationalised mindset to think that's about study. Let me study every topic that might come up so whatever it is, I've got the opportunity to give people a three-point sermon on why they're wrong and I'm right. Let me do that. And we can, you know, study, I don't want to knock study. Study is an amazing thing. Theology is an amazing pursuit. 
Actually, I know lots of you came to um, God's Big Story here yesterday. That's an amazing opportunity. I want to plug that to you if you haven't done it. Not that I've done it, but when my children are older, I will. But it's a great chance to plug in and get to understand more of God and who he is. I'm going to put something to you, though. The primary purpose of theology and the study of um, Christian principles, the primary purpose of that is not to help you put forward a really good argument for why you believe what you believe. The primary purpose of theology is worship. The primary purpose of understanding more and more and plumbing the depths of who God is, is actually that we would stand back in wonder and go, God, you're amazing. That actually the more we understand who he is, the more we want to be like him. So it adjusts our lifestyle, it changes who we are. It means that our holiness looks even more different from the world because it's even more like God. That's why study is so important. I would say primarily study is not necessarily about constructing really good arguments for what you believe. I don't think that's the preparedness that Peter's talking about when he says be prepared to give an account. I'm going to very quickly read for you an account from um, the book of Acts, chapter 4. This is Peter who was trapped in fight, flight, or freeze just a couple of weeks, really, before this account. So in this account, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they're speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching and the people were proclaiming in the name of Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the Lord, the same people who crucified Jesus not long before, um, Ananias, the high priest, was there, and so was Kef- the other one, um, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought there to them, and they began to question them. By what power or by what name do you do this? What's the hope you have? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, he spoke to them with gentleness and respect. He honoured their self-given titles. He didn't think they were the ruler of the people, did he? He knows Jesus is actually the ruler, but he chose to use their self-given titles to speak to them with gentleness and respect, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He then goes on to give a very, very eloquent sermon in which everyone's amazed and cannot believe his learning. My point is, actually primarily when Peter calls us to be prepared, he's calling us to have a relationship with Holy Spirit. That means that actually when we're called on to give an account, we know that it's Holy Spirit who speaks through us and for us. It's Holy Spirit who testifies on our account. We're not actually trying to reason with people 100%, this is my learning to your learning. Now, learning's helpful, but actually it's Holy Spirit who speaks for us and through us. My image of learning is a little bit like if you want a bonfire and you collect all the wood and the wood is there and that knowledge is so helpful. It's like wood that fuels the fire that burns, but without the spark, it's just wood. It doesn't warm anybody. It's like it's great to know stuff, but actually we need to have a reliance on the Holy Spirit that means that when those moments come, fire falls and we burn. That's actually what God is calling us as a church to be, a church who know Holy Spirit. If you're looking at the transformation in Peter's life, how did he go from slavery to the three Fs, where he just wants to cut off an ear when someone attacks him, to someone who stands, he's been in prison all night. He then stands before the very same people who he saw crucify Jesus. And with boldness, Holy Spirit comes on him and speaks through him. We need to know so much more of Holy Spirit. I need to know so much more of Holy Spirit. 
When I face the potential of suffering and it triggers in me that free F type response where I just want to run from that, I need to say, Holy Spirit, come and be with me. Holy Spirit, come and speak to me. Actually, if in your situation now, wherever you are, in your workplace, in your school, wherever you are, your family, maybe even your marriage, you face the potential of suffering. You face the potential of persecution and it get, makes you scared. That's all right. It's all right to be scared, but you say, Holy Spirit, would you come on me again? Holy Spirit, would you come on me again? City Hope Church, can we say, Holy Spirit, come on us again? As we face the reality of a culture where increasingly, actually being holy and living your life, set apart with Christ, set apart with the Lord, actually is an act of offence to a lot of people. You living your life, pursuing what you believe God has put on you, as you study scripture, you know who God is, if you think, I'm going to live like him, that alone is offensive to so many people. That's scary. It's scary, but we say, Holy Spirit, would you come? Holy Spirit, would you set on fire all the learning, all the knowledge, all the study we have? We're so fat with knowledge. But God, would you set it on fire that we would burn? Right, there's next a very confusing bit of scripture. It is confusing. I've preached it twice, and I'm still confused by it. But that's okay. I've studied it a lot. There's this bit where it talks about how Jesus, after being crucified, I'm going to read it to you really quickly. I'm aware of time, okay? But it is really interesting. So, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Uh, uh, so he says, um, it's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you, city hope, to God, who is put to death in the body but made alive by the Spirit. So if you're not sure whether I'm right in saying the Spirit's the key to everything Peter's saying, here it is, drawing out there, made alive by the Spirit, through whom... He also went and preached the spirits in prison. He disobeyed long ago um, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes a baptism that now saves you also. Not only removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. Um, it is confusing. And if you're confused, that's okay. I've read a lot about that bit to say, what does that mean? It turns out there's still a lot of confusion. A lot of people are not quite sure what Peter's getting at here. I'm, I'm not going to give you all the debate because it's going to take too long. I'm going to tell you the conclusion I've come to from everything that I've read, what I think Peter's talking about. If you want to hear the other perspectives, read about it. There's a lot that's been read, uh, written. rather. If you want to talk to someone who also has kind of studied this and got it, Bex has spent a lot of time. Bex is a theologian. She spent a lot of time reading about this, and I'm sure she would love to have the discussion with you. But I'm going to get to the conclusion of what I think this is about. Because uh, that's what I've got time for this morning. I believe that Peter is shifting our focus once again onto Holy Spirit. Actually, I think what he's saying is that same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead, that same Holy Spirit is the same Holy Spirit who spoke through Noah even way back then. Even way back in history, it was Holy Spirit speaking and pleading. That actually, the debate, when you're having a debate and the discussion with those who don't know Jesus is actually a spirit-to-spirit -spirit debate. Actually, the Spirit of God was speaking to the spirits back then in prison. It wasn't primarily a rational-to-rational -rational debate. It wasn't primarily a rational-to-rational -rational discussion. Let me give you my five points on why I'm building an ark. It was a spirit-to-spirit -spirit thing. And I think in our culture, we lose some of the spirit-to-spirit -spirit because we live in a culture that doesn't like spirit. But actually, part of us being holy and called apart and different is actually honouring spirit. 
and saying, actually, let's have a spirit-to-spirit connection with people. The Bible tells us that our fight is actually not against flesh and blood, but it's about spirits. So actually, let's connect with Holy Spirit. Let's connect with Holy Spirit. Because of time, I'm so grateful for Hope's testimony this morning because she's reminded us heaven is real, heaven is beautiful. Heaven is real, heaven is beautiful. Ultimately, when Peter is calling the church to be willing to suffer and be persecuted, actually, their ultimate hope, our ultimate hope is that heaven is real, heaven is beautiful. For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. He didn't just do it because he's brave. He didn't just do it because he's brave. He did it because he had a vision and a sure hope of eternity. That is where the suffering of the church makes sense. That's where those 3,000 or so lives that are lost every single year because they follow Jesus, that only makes sense in the context of heaven. Without that, that makes no sense. But how does it make sense that we all, 2,000 years later, would follow a suffering servant who died on a cross? That makes no sense if it's not for heaven. If we're not convinced that heaven is real and heaven is beautiful... And Christ is there preparing a place for us that Christ is seating enthroned with all power and authority. If we don't have that, then none of this makes sense. So we must be convinced of heaven, our future hope. Suffering is a blip actually on the horizon of hope in Jesus. We must be convinced. So I'm going to finish up with a call to all of us. A call to all of us. First of all, those of us who know, now I know, so I'm putting my hand up for this, that actually we've just kind of lost some of our reliance on the Holy Spirit. You might have been a Christian for a really long time, but actually we've become a bit thinking heavy and not so much spirit heavy. We just know that we miss him. We just miss him. I'm telling you that actually if you want to stand up in our generation, you need Holy Spirit. I need Holy Spirit. And I think there's a calling back to us. There's a quickening in us as a church. Tonight, if, you, if you're going to respond to this now, that's great. Respond. Let's, let's encounter Holy Spirit. Come tonight to pray. Encounter Holy Spirit. Actually come to the week of prayer. Pray. Encounter Holy Spirit. Go to a connectory where you can encounter Holy Spirit. Let's not just respond now. If we're responding in our hearts, let's respond by being engaged in a life of a church who are desperate for Holy Spirit. When we face the reality of persecution that there's probably to come, when we recognize the signs in our culture, we need to be on our knees. We need to be on our knees. We need to be on our knees. There's a call to us. I do also want to just call out to those, if you've experienced persecution, either you've actually left another nation to come here because of persecution, or maybe even right now in your here and now existence, in your home, in your workplace, you're experiencing persecution, we want to pray with you. It's okay not to like it. That's okay. Actually, and it's okay to get people around you and say, this is tough, and Holy Spirit, I need you to get through it. We want to pray for you. Okay, we want to pray for you. If you feel like you're just stuck in that kind of free F response where you think, I just want to run away from this topic still, the fear hasn't gone, we want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. We don't want to be stuck like Peter with the sword. Actually, I want to be like Peter who's filled with the Holy Spirit and gives an account for, what, for the hope that I have. So on that note, I'm going to hand over to the band, hand over to to Chris to put us through the rest.